0: Gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman! Batman and Robin! the Wonder Twins, Sam and Gina, with their space monkey, Bleak,
1: dedicated to true justice and peace for all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 103 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Sumo, and in this episode I'm going to cover two more hours of the all new Super Friends Hour, season two, the 1977 season of what we look back on and call Super Friends. The main episodes covered will be the Water Beast and the Mind Maidens. However, this episode will probably be a little longer as three of the four shorts surrounding these two episodes will feature Superman. The only one that I believe that doesn't is the final one that I'm going to cover in hour two. So especially the uh, first hour that I'll be covering. Very heavy into Superman with uh, the Water Beast. Superman and Aquaman will be featured in the Attack of the Giant Squid and... Superman and Samurai will be featured in Volcano, and then in the second hour, not only the main story, but Superman will also be involved with Wonder Woman in an episode called The Collector. So, if you're a Superman fan, and I assume you are if you're listening to this podcast, plenty to like uh, coming up ahead in this episode. And there's more to like uh, right now as I'm going to head into feedback. I have some feedback from Dave McElvenny. Dave will lead things off. I got a couple of uh, emails this week. Dave is writing in on Man of Screen episode 93. But Dave writes: Greetings, Mike. Well, the Superfriends are continuing to deal with presumably well-intentioned people causing terrible trouble and too hot to handle. Kolbar doesn't mean any harm when he caused the Earth to move into a closer orbit around the Sun, potentially destroying all native life forms on the planet. It just worked out that way. We have to wonder if there wasn't a, any other suitable planet for his people somewhere between Solitarium, his home planet, and Earth. I did enjoy the appearance of the Flash sharing this adventure with some of his other Justice Leaguers and I'm looking forward to seeing more Justice League members in the future. One other note, I have a feeling that Professor Von know with that name, must have uh, gotten beaten up a lot by other kids in uh, grade school. In Androids, I just have to wonder, if Dr. Rebus can make life like Androids, including a duplicate of Superman, why would he use an Android version of Wonder Dog to infiltrate and sabotage the Venus Probe Watch, rather than use an Android version of Superman or one of the base personnel? Ah, well, what do I know? I'm not a writer. Live long and prosper, Dave. All right, so uh, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. Yes, uh, the episode too out to handle does indeed uh, continue the theme of villains doing villainous things kind of by accident as they cause adverse side effects when they're trying to fix their own problems, kind of like uh, what uh, Colbar is doing with Solitar- Terrarium. And um, yes, I'm sure there were other suitable planets for this somewhere between Terrarium on Earth, but the show featured Earth, so not much of an episode if uh, Colbar doesn't come to Earth. But it does beg the question why they wouldn't search for an uninhabited planet to do this. I don't know, maybe they couldn't find one. You would think somebody on Solitarium, although the movie hadn't been made yet, would have invoked the famous line from Star Trek 2. Well, if it's that famous, I don't know. I know that movie backwards or forwards, so to me, any line in that film was famous, but never forget Carol Marcus saying, There can't be so much as a microbe or the show's off. You would think uh, the people of Solitarium would have rejected Earth just for uh, the fact that there was a population full of people on it. And that's for Dave's comment on uh, Professor Von Know-A-Lot. He must have gotten uh, beaten up by a lot of k- other kids in grade school. And honestly, probably high sc- middle school and high school as well. I guess if anybody would know, it would be Dave, who was uh, a teacher for his uh, long career. Dave is retired now. I believe he was a... I know he was a math teacher, but I and I want to say high school, but I cannot be certain. I can't be certain that he was a math teacher. I can't be certain about what level he taught. I'm sure as soon as he hears this episode, Dave will uh, remind me. And that comment about Professor Von Novela kinda of reminds me of a discussion uh a few of us were having on Facebook. And this is something I've seen a lot. I spent more than a decade as a high school sports writer, so I've seen plenty of uh out there names. I covered one football team where uh kid's name was Thor. You know, it's a good thing he was a big kid and he probably didn't get messed with a whole ton, but you know I sometimes say this facetiously and sometimes I think I actually believe it. What you name your child? should go a long way into determining whether you get to keep said child. I mean, you've seen all kinds of bizarre names out there. And some are very pretty, others are weird. And I'm not going to uh, name any examples, because I don't, I don't want to single anybody out. But, you know, if you name a kid after your favorite geeky property, you know, parents might think it's cute, but you're not bearing in mind that the kid has to go through his life with that name. You know? You know what? I am going to throw somebody under the bus. Nicholas Cage. He named his son kal and I believe John Bogdanov, the uh, artist on Superman, The Man of Steel in the 90s, did the same thing. You know, Maybe that's not the best thing to name your child, being that the child actually has to grow up with that name. And anybody who knows the connection will probably make fun of him for it. But at least the one kid I knew with the uh, mythic name, Thor, he was a big kid. So he was an offensive lineman of the football team. Two way starter. So I'm guessing a lot of people uh, didn't really mess with him. Big country boy Thor was. And as far as uh, Dave's comments go on the androids... Point well taken, but I guess uh, using an Android version of Wonder Dog is just funnier to uh, the kids watching the show. Sometimes you just gotta throw a bone to the show's format and know who the audience is. And entertaining the kiddies is, is clearly more important in these episodes than a logical plan. So, as always, thank you Dave for writing in. My next email comes from Brian Rosen. Brian is also writing out in on episode uh, 93. So Brian writes, I've been listening to your Man of Screen podcast for a while now. Being a huge animation fan and having literally grown up alongside the Super Friends, I am enjoying your coverage of these episodes. One thing I am curious about, when Dr. Rebos is interrupted by the telephone operator, was that the police dispatch operator from Hong Kong Fui? The voice actress must have been pulling double duty with the same character in mind. Keep him coming, Brian. I'll be honest, Brian, I really have no idea. And I'm not sure there's any way to... Well, let me see. Quick research uh, did not reveal who the telephone operator was voiced by. So there is no way to check to see if that is the uh, same dispatch operator from Hong Kong. Fui could be. I don't know. I'm sure a lot of these uh, voice actors and actresses bounce from job to job, so it's entirely possible. But I have no verification on that. And uh, as someone who uh, literally grew up alongside the Super Friends. You know, try to write in more often, Brian, and uh, let me know if uh, my coverage is bringing up any uh, any memories. Uh, Personally, having been born in uh, 1980, I don't have as much memory of uh, these episodes as some of my old listeners that grew up with these shows did. I have. I might have seen some of these episodes I may not have, like I've mentioned before. There's only one for sure that I do remember. So, thank you, Brian, for writing in. Uh, please feel free to keep writing in. And if you want to write in, remember the email address, manascreen at gmail.com. So, for right now, I'm going to take a quick break, play a podcast promo. Then I'm gonna come back with the water beast. Hang around, folks. Stop and
0: listen! Stop and listen to me. Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're humans! Everyone! They're here already! You're
2: next. November fourth, nineteen eighty-eight. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several
1: species, including the Dominators, the Kunz, the Danegarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated
2: the United Nations' response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in, join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne.
1: Alright, welcome back folks. Uh, All of the episodes that I'm covering in this segment, original broadcast date was October 29th, 1977, and I'm going to lead things off with the Super Friends story, The Water Beast. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Shipping lanes become threatened by Manta when he unleashes a beast made of pure water to attack and capture freighters.
0: Two ships have been captured by some kind of huge water monster. They vanished below the sea. Coast Guard vessels picked up the crews, but international shipping is endangered until the monster is tracked
2: down. We'll get right on it, Captain. A water monster that capture ships? Sounds like one of your powers gone wacko. Spacey, Jaina, really spacey.
0: There's no time to waste. We'll have to get out there and stop it. Hey,
2: what about us? Leave it to me, Big Brother. What your twin, twin powers, powers activate. activate Shape of a Pelican
1: <laughs> When the Super Friends learn of the beast, they try to stop it. However Superman splits away from Aquaman lo- just long enough for Manta to capture the King of the Seas by scrambling his telepathy.
2: You'll never succeed, Manta. The super friends will soon stop your water beast. Don't bet on it, Aquaman. That special cage you're in will electronically duplicate your superpowers on computer tape, which I will transfer to my water beast, making him invincible. Nothing will stop him.
1: The villain then transfers Aquaman's powers by computer tape to his monster to make it stronger. After the super friends fail to meet Manta's challenge to defeat his beast, he demands control of the ocean. You've
0: proved your point, Manta. Now what are your demands?
2: As ruler of the seas, I forbid any ship to leave port without my permission and without paying a heavy tribute. Violations will be severely punished by my water beast.
1: With a daring plan to rescue Aquaman, the dynamic duo and the Wonder Twins go on a freighter to be captured on purpose.
2: Sure I'll sail without Manta's permission, Batman. Anything to help stop him.
1: When Manta sends his water beast to capture
0: this ship, he'll take it right to his secret lair. With us hidden inside this
2: special waterproof crate. (laughs) This sure isn't what
1: I'd call first class. Spacey, Xan. Real spacey. Even though Gleek nearly ruins the plan, the Wonder Twins eventually save Aquaman. Upon learning of a way to stop the beast, the team shrinks the beast. Xan changes into an imitation water beast, and Aquaman waits inside the beast. The trick is successful as Manta is captured, making the ocean safe for all again.
0: The water beast has been returned to its natural state. Manta's fiendish device has been dismantled. Thanks again, super friends. Manta's attempt to control the seas should be a lesson to everyone. Right. The oceans are a great source of energy. Used for the wrong purposes, that energy can go to waste.
2: And Manta's water beast was a good example of a misuse of that vital energy. Speaking of energy, after tackling that water beast, I feel like no one's a match for me. L- look! It's the water beast! <laughs> <laughs> Looks like your water beast is just bleep
0: being a drip.
1: (laughs) Okay, first and foremost, you heard me mention a villain, Manta. He is an Aquaman villain. He is a villain of the ocean. He's probably, he's a normal person, but I need to specify right off the bat, this is not Black Manta. I repeat... The villain of this episode is not Black Manta. Please remain calm. He looks a lot like Black Manta. I will give him that. You know, he's got the uh, Manta Ray shaped suit. Except in this case, it's not black. It's more of a, more of kind of an army olive green. At least in the uh, animation video that I have. So the costume is similar, but the character's name may be Manta. But it is not Black Manta. I have no idea why Hanna-Barbera would create this kind of confusion. By this time, Black Manta was a 10-year-old character, so there should have been some knowledge of... Maybe somebody at DC should have said, hey, no, look, this is too similar to a character in our book. Why create one that would create confusion? But this is what Hanna-Barbera did, so this character is Manta, but not to be confused with Black Manta. And I hope I have unconfused that subject. Well, either way, uh, some f- Manta is tracking some freighters by, by a submarine... And he uses a water monster to attack the ships, hence the episode's title, The Water Beast. And this beast is amassing quite a collection It seems to pick up two ships, but can't seem to get a hold of the third, which gets away. So, Manta is ranting that his uh, water creature couldn't pick up the third ship, and he is not shy at announcing that his archenemy is Aquaman. So, we know for a fact that this episode is going to feature Aquaman very heavily, as well as the rest of uh, our normal Super Friends cast. Remember, according to the uh, opening sequence, Aquaman is at least the fourth greatest hero in the DC Universe. So, as usual, the uh, Super Friends will get their uh, expositional phone call, and they're on their way to deal with Manta, who promptly sends a water beast at them. So Superman tries to uh, take out the water beast by flying right through it. I wonder what he thought he would accomplish by doing that. If he flew into a wave, he would just fly right through that. Why he thought he would be able to uh, attack a beast of pure water that way, but he does. So Superman decides to unleash some superpowers and uh, he evaporates the water monster with some heat vision, at least for the moment. And uh Aquaman, you know, the character that can swim, breathe on the water and all that. And he can swim really fast at almost super speed. I don't quite understand why he needs a jet ski. But at least he's not on flying fish. So apparently Manta submarine has a way to jam Aquaman's telepathy, so that the Sea King may have to do something himself instead of relying on the sea life like he normally does. And when left to his own devices, Aquaman gets captured. Maybe if the sea life is really the, wor- the world's fourth greatest superhero. Have we ever considered that? Because whenever Aquaman has to do something on his own, he usually botches it. So, the water beast isn't very impressive. It's tall and blue. It makes a lot of zombie-like sounds. It could, those of you who know, I am on the Fear of the Walking Dead cast. also on the Two uh, True Freaks Network. And you know what the water beast sound like? It's making a bunch of zombie sounds. So now trapped in a tank like any other uh, captured fish would be, Aquaman takes the opportunity to talk some trash to Manta, who basically transfers Aquaman's powers to a water beast via his machine. You know, in this particular episode of my coverage, this weekend and next this episode and the episode I'm covering in the next segment, there's a lot of putting powers and characters on videotape. Set tape and videotape, but it's a strange coincidence, to say the least. So Manta now uh, throws down the gauntlet and is going to attack uh, some kind of Caribbean island, uh... And I'm guessing that now that he has has some of Aquaman's powers, he can control the sea life. And as soon as I wrote that note down, sure enough, there go the circles from the water beast's head. My question would be, if I don't think this particular beast has a brain, I mean, is it alive? Or is it just being controlled by Manta's submarine? If the water beast doesn't have a quote-unquote brain, how could he use telepathy? Telepathy comes from the brain. So, in order to save the day here, Jaina becomes a whale and Xan a water spout, and... I am not going to make any of the necessary jokes that come with the fact that Xana turned into a whale and Xan turned into a water spout emerging from her blowhole. No, I guess I am going to make that joke. Some would say I'm better than that. I would say no. But this does give... uh, So, uh, Jana blocks the attacking whales with her body and they kind of all bounce off, leaving Xan time to make an unnecessary crack about women drivers. If you heard some of this dialogue today, the women's leagues would be all over the producers like, a uh, bad rash. And I did, you know, as soon as I saw Superman use his heat vision on the Water Beast, and that not worked very well, I figured eventually we would see Superman trying to freeze the Water Beast, and sure enough, here it is, and it just kind of crumbles and falls apart, and I'm pretty sure that's not doing the job. But we do have a tidal wave, and we get some nice, uh, animations of the Super Friends saving the day. So, uh, suffering, uh, some kind of defeat here, the, uh, Super Friends tuck their capes between their legs, and, uh, Go back to the Hall of Justice and ask for Manta's demands. Basically, he wants tribute from any ship that tries to sail the ocean. And he has some way of making sure that he gets that. So now Batman has an idea to trap Manta. And this basically involves him asking help from a ship captain who is all too happy to help. He's just going to let his ship get captured with the Wonder Twins of Batman and Robin aboard. So Batman and Robin and the Wonder Twins are going to get smuggled into Manta's cave. At least uh, that's the plan. They have no other way, way really to find uh, Manta's secret headquarters. And in order to avert suspicion, uh, Superman and Wonder Woman are doing some aerial acrobatics. And Superman actually has dialogue that says, we have to do this so Manta knows that they're there doing that and not, you know, doing something useful like attempting to capture him. So there's not a lot uh, for Superman to do in this episode other than to do a handstand on the Invincible Jet. Now, when Batman and Robin prepare to deploy their Bat Boomerangs, Gleek uh, tries to uh, deploy a banana. But it starts a chain reaction that just causes a whole bunch of trouble and seems to get Batman and Robin netted. Wonderful monkey. But thank heavens for Bat Freeze Gas and bad puns as Batman and Robin free themselves and take out two of Manta's men. So the Wonder Twins free Aquaman but not before setting off an alarm that alerts Manta to their presence. And that gives Manta a chance to uh, literally can them and send them to the bottom of the ocean. I kid you not. He wraps them up in a big metal cylinder. And shoots them to the ocean floor. Which is good if you want to crush somebody, and that's exactly what Manta wants to do. I wonder if Aquaman would survive this. I would guess that he would. But the Wonder Twins would not, even though Jaina could transform herself into any kind of secret she wants, and Stan can uh, turn into some water, as long as they can touch each other to activate their powers. But the canister is being crushed by the water pressure, and it's nice to see Aquaman displaying his super strength as he tries to use his strength to keep the cylinder from collapsing on them. In many incarnations, especially modern incarnations, it's quite clear that Aquaman's strength could rival that of even Superman. And it's nice to see here that he is super, super super strong because and his super strength comes not from any not from the sun or anything else, nor not from working out, just from the fact that to survive the intense water pressures at the bottom of the ocean, he has to be that strong. And he also has to have good telepathy so he can summon jellyfish to save the day. Apparently, his uh, telepathic powers were not transferred to the Water Beast. It was more of a, more of a dubbing. I wonder if the Water Beast telepathy had any copy of the grade. So, Aquaman order to get out of the uh, tin can that they're stuck in. He uh, calls on some jellyfish to save the day, because he can't quite do it himself. So, Batman uses the uh, United We Stand, Divided We Fall phrase to come up with a plan. Apparently, they're going to split the Water Beast to save New York City. And then the animation of New York City looks like you would expect an animated New York City to look in 1977. Even the Statue of Liberty is the wrong color. Everything is white, including the statue, which has a brown brick base, a very light brown, almost a tan. And the statue itself is green due to many years of uh, oxidation. Believe it or not, there was actually a time when the Statue of Liberty was copper-colored, but not for decades. The statue has been green now for just about a century. <sighs> now, it's kind of funny seeing the Beast throw that boat like a football, but it's part of the plan to break up the Beast. Smoke was used to keep Manta from seeing the beast, and apparently the Batcopter was going to suck up the Water Beast and empty it into a bunch of different containers so that he can't reform. Very clever. Kind of reminds me of the uh, one story, uh, I believe it was Doomsday Wars. I mean, there's somebody out there who can correct me if I'm wrong, where in order to defeat Doomsday, this was the third appearance of Doomsday after uh, Hunter Prey in the 90s, and in order to defeat Doomsday, Superman separated him between four teleportation units in the... uh, Justice League Watchtower, so that he could never reform because he was constantly split into four different places. Kind of the uh, same thing here. So now we are moving on to uh, Phase 3 of the plan, which means the Twins are going to activate their powers for the fourth time in 22 minutes. So now Jaina becomes a Condor, and Xan a fake Water Beast. Finally, something useful, as Manta is actually tricked into believing that the fake Water Beast is his. But the jig is up, and Aquaman chases down Manta and captures him, while the Super Friends are doing something else. So... In the end, the admiral says the water beast has returned to a natural state, which was what exactly? The moral of the story was: don't misuse the energy from the sea. You, give, you, know, you can get a lot. You can generate electricity through hydroelectric power, so don't underestimate that or mess with it or don't misuse it. The sea can give you a lot, so just don't misuse it. And the code word from the quarter segments was cargo ship. I must say this was a pretty good episode. The action flowed well, and I was never not interested. Superman wasn't a focus in this episode episode, as it was more of an Aquaman story, but that's okay as he gets both of the team-up segments. Which reminds me, let's move on to one of those team-up segments. And we're going to go to Attack of the Giant Squid, which is basically what it says it is. Aquaman and Superman have to stop a giant squid from sticking a cruise ship while keeping Dr. Pisces from creating a giant sea animals in the oceans. So Superman and Aquaman this time, and I love the title card with Aquaman on the seahorse. You don't see that in the episodes nearly enough as far as I'm concerned. So we have an underwater lab of Dr. Pisces, who is enlarging a squid to 20 times its size. And apparently the ink will enlarge sea life for some reason. That is not revealed at this point in the episode, but will be revealed shortly. This electrode device we've
2: implanted will enlarge this squid to 20 times its size. And when we set him loose, the device will cause his ink to spread and enlarge all other marine life to enormous proportions. We're going too far, Dr. Pisces. Giant sea life could create havoc all over the world. Nonsense. My discovery will solve the world's food shortage. Dr. Pisces, you must call off the experiment. I WILL NOT HEAR OF IT!
1: His assistant is uh, concerned about the giant sea life and how much it'll eat. But the Pisces is so determined to solve the world's food shortage that he does not care about anything else. He doesn't care about the adverse effect that having these extra-large fish in the ocean will do to the uh, natural ecosystem. And apparently it looks as though the fish swim through the, uh, through a squid ink portal and become huge. Now I like this sequence here. Not only does the Superfriends get their expositional phone call, but Doctor Pisces butts in on the on the call, and I love how the Superfriends theme swells up here. Super
2: Superfriends, Philippine Sea, need help! Giant squid creating monster fish. You've got to stop Doctor Pisces. So you have betrayed me. But neither you nor the Superfriends will stop me from succeeding.
0: Something, or someone, cut off the communication. You and I better check it out, Superman.
1: But it's a weird placement as nothing heroic happens. Superman and Aquaman just decide they're going to go and uh, beat the bad guy. So Aquaman recruits Superman to help him, leaving Wonder Woman and Batman behind, and they're off to the races. And they're chasing giant tuna. Now, fully developed tuna are massive as it is. Now, I used to go fishing with my uncle when I was a kid off Sheep's Head Bay in Brooklyn. And so we'd go out into the oceans on this uh, boat. Once in a while, and we'd go out mainly for bluefish, but once in a while, there'd be some tuna and albacore mixed in there. Now, the tuna we were catching were, were baby, and they were larger than full-sized bluefish, which, I don't know, about two feet long? But uh, the Atlantic bluefin tuna could grow up to 1,500 pounds. Multiply 20 to that, and you've got one hell of a big fish. That is a lot of tuna fish. So Now, the squid is attacking our passenger cruise because... You have a giant sea monster, of course, you're going to have it attack people. And the thing just drags the cruise ship underwater. Now, as that happens, Aquaman says, we've got to save the ship. Good observation there. And uh, Superman can fly, yet in the animation, he's kicking his feet as he swims. For a man who can propel himself with his own power, kicking his feet doesn't seem necessary. Now, of course, Aquaman's telepathy does not work on the squid. And it's so big and strong that even Superman can't bunch his tentacles. So, Superman uh, gives up on the giant squid and decides to search for Dr. Pisces, who, when found, is completely unconcerned about the cruise ship. Soon, the oceans
2: will be full of gigantic sea life. Superman! Yes, Dr. Pisces, and you must stop your giant squid. It's pulled a cruise ship to the bottom. Unfortunate. But what are the lives of a few compared to the millions who will benefit? Help! There's someone behind that door. The squid can be stopped with this, Superman. Attach this to the squid's electrode device and it will return to normal size. Thanks. I've got no time to lose. I will not let Superman ruin my plans.
1: Yeah, a few hundred man, a few hundred people are a small concern to the millions who will benefit from the increased uh, food supply due to the hundreds of thousands of boxes of cans of fish that are naturally flooding the market because this guy made him huge. So now Dr. Pisces doesn't think ahead, as he imprisons his assistant with uh, the device necessary to shrink the squid. So once Superman saves uh, Pisces' assistant, he takes the machine and gets prepared to shrink the squid. But before that, somehow Dr. Pisces has kryptonite, so he attacks Superman. So uh, Aquaman just summons a bunch of electric eels to help, and they do their job and cripple this up. Now Superman drills a hole through the reef and shrinks the squid. Then he's just going to bring the cruise ship back to the surface. Where I'm guessing he just expects it to float around if nothing happens. It won't have to be cleaned or given a maintenance check or anything. Nope, all those customers are fine. They can just float away and continue their cruise vacation. I don't think so. As everybody's cabins are probably all full of water by now. So we end with a joke as Superman wonders who'd want to eat a 100-pound shrimp cocktail. I personally would not. And this short brings us back to the issues of villains who become villains because they want to solve a problem. And do so in the wrong way. Dr. Pisces wanted to solve world hunger. Nothing wrong with that. But, what he didn't seem to calculate is that the bigger fish eat more, so by enlarging the fish, he would have starved them because they probably couldn't have been able to find enough sustenance. Yeah. Alright, so now, we'll move on to the to Twins morality play, Game of Chicken. Two boys decide to settle an argument by playing a game of chicken on speedboats at a waterfall. Twins save them before it's too late, and the boys learn that a game of chicken won't solve a problem. But before that, Batman and Robin will teach us bike safety, and as far as the episode goes, uh, we've got a bunch of guys fighting over, over a spot in the car or something. I don't know. One guy has muscles, the other has a fro, looking very 70s. And they're going to play chicken to resolve whatever differences they seem to be having. Which, you know, anyone who's watched the movie knows that playing chicken is not a good idea. So basically what happens here, they end up nearly going over the side of a waterfall. And, and uh, Zan and Jaina set them straight as she turns into a giant walrus. Which is amusing seeing see a giant walrus sitting in the middle of the river. Now this is when the kids realize they did something dumb and this one guy is grounded from the water for a year. That's a just reward for trying to play chicken. Note to Gleek, don't use your tail as a fishing rod and the tail gets bitten. Again, not a great story. This is the one that's the twins teaching you a lesson. You know, you don't have to prove anything to other people. You know, just go about your business and do what you gotta do. No need to play chicken. Yeah. And now we're going to finish this segment up with volcano. Superman and Samurai rescue a group of aliens in their spaceship from an active volcano. So, we're going to start with Superman and Samurai dealing with a volcano, but Superman is going to show off a magic trick with Scissor Sorcery. And before any of these uh, fourth segments start, they show a super friend doing a magic trick, and then they show the trick explained. I don't know why they'd want to explain these illusions, but they do. Sometimes we just want to, want them to uh, keep the mystery. Then here we go, we've got a UFO that's most likely going to crash to Earth, and it crashes right into a volcano. That cannot possibly upset anything in uh, any way, shape, form, or fashion. So got the military informing the Super Friends that our Japanese, su- and our Japanese superhero Samurai, who turns into a volcano and flies off to Hawaii with Superman. And I can already tell that Samurai is going to be a worthy addition to the team, as he's a Buddhist. He doesn't fight. What do I need a Buddhist that doesn't fight on us on an action show? Probably his attitude was probably there to uh, allay some of the issues at the times with parents' groups who were expressing all kinds of frustration about violence on kids' programming. So, I'm guessing Samurai, a character that won't fight anybody, is a reaction to that. And these aliens are trying to get away because they don't want Earth people to get that technology? Probably a good idea. I mean, we see what Earth people do with their own technology. You definitely don't want them getting, it, getting their hands on any advanced uh, UFO technology. And Superman is trying to help them, but these aliens don't know that. They are going to defend themselves. They can't understand Superman's language. They don't know what he's saying. He's dressed in a funny suit. A monkey suit, as George Reeves would legendarily call it during the filming of the Adventures of Superman. But but Superman is, like I said, trying to find a way to help these guys. Apparently, Samurai has powers of the mind, and he f- finds a way to communicate with the aliens, but they just ignore him. They can't take the chance, or they won't take the chance, that, they're, that Superman and Samurai are lying. So they do what anybody else would do in that situation. They continue to sink into the volcanic lava. So these aliens are seriously dedicated to saving their own tech. So the samurai can turn invisible and he's trying to get to the alien ship. Meanwhile, the alien captain is doubling down on defense. The captain complains when samurai materializes in the tube. He accuses samurai of trying to steal stuff, but samurai just needs to knock out a defense bomb. Superman is going to do the Japanese quote-unquote trick to get him out of there. So Superman and Samurai helped fix the ship and the aliens were on their way. I am sure he would offend somebody in this day and age, but this was more of a classic search and rescue story. Not worth a whole lot more than the eight minutes that it took. So, again, not a great episode. I'm not sold on Samurai, but, you yeah, know, maybe I'll see something in for the end of the season. or even the, the third season. I don't know how long he sticks around, but for the time being, let's take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'll come back with The Mind Makings. Hang around, folks.
2: Justice League International, Blah ha, ha Podcast, a new monthly show chronicling the adventures of the JLI era by Keith Giffen and J.M. DeMatteis. We'll be going issue by issue in release order, tackling the core Justice League title, Justice League Europe, and the quarterly book. Along the way, we'll take time out for special episodes covering various spin-offs, cartoon appearances, the infamous TV pilot, and much more. So join me in an ever-changing roster of guest hosts as we celebrate your favorite JLI members, such as... Martian Manhunter, Batman, Dr. Fate,
1: Black Canary,
2: Fire, Ice, Maxwell Lord, Oberon,
1: Captain Marvel, Rocket Red, Captain Atom, Mr. Miracle, Guy Gardner, Booster Gold,
2: Blue Beetle, Nort, and many, many more. Justice League International Blah ha ha Podcast, part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Want to make something of it?
1: Alright, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment were originally broadcast on November 5th, 1977, and we're going to start with The Mind Me. And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Medulla, a brilliant but dangerous woman, wants to have women rule the world so she can, so she fires a will boosting beam at Elmwood City causing the women to make the men disappear.
2: The computerized Will Booster is ready to be tested, Medulla! Excellent! With it, I'll have the power to control the mind of every woman on Earth! Soon, women everywhere will enable me to rule the world! (laughs) Begin test on Elmwood City!
1: The men reappear at Medulla's hideout, only to be transformed into micro-dots and processed on computer tape. The Super Friends try to stop her at both the World Leaders Parade in Gotham City and at an aircraft carrier in the Pacific Ocean. The team finds her hideout, but Wonder Woman and Jaina are hypnotized by Will Booster and capture the male heroes.
0: Go! Dematerialize the Super Friends! So that women can rule the world unopposed! We are with you, Medulla.
1: All except for Superman, who makes a statue of himself to take his place. Superman gets into the hideout and saves the other male heroes.
0: We have to figure out how to get Batman, Robin, Xan, and Aquaman off this computer tape. (laughs) One mistake, and I can erase them forever. It's no use. This computer's too complex. I'll need help. Superman calling the Pentagon Computer Center, Washington, D.C. Superman, thank heavens! Those white-eyed women are taking over Washington! We can stop them if you can reprogram this computer to rematerialize the other super friends. Roger. I'm getting the signals. And and that should do it, Superman. I hope so. For the sake of mankind. Leaping
2: electronics. Batman,
1: we're back. Before too long, Medulla falls victim to her own Will Booster by Wonder Woman, and all the women are returned to normal. Okay, so despite the, uh, all-women, uh, villain team, this episode is going to feature Superman heavily, as, as the, uh, synopsis mentioned, he is the only member of the Super Friends not to get captured by Medulla. Medulla, if you look at her eyes, she's pupilless. She has just white eyes and they're glowing, and her two henchwomen are, got the same eye effect going on, and the one that speaks she's the one on the left speaks very robotically so medulla is using her mind ray and apparently every woman who gets possessed by her mind ray loses loses their eyeballs this one girl on a date makes her boyfriend disappear and a mother and a daughter do the same thing to the males and their family but either way that's just uh, some of the examples but this is happening all over the town so all of the men end up at medulla's lair and she has announced herself as the future ruler of earth and she's going to dematerialize all the men And they're all going to be digitized until Medulla is in control of the world. I mean, 1977, it was still pretty much a man's earth. It still is at the moment, even though there are forces at work to change that going on right now as the status quo is shaken up every day with uh, more groups trying to uh, pull themselves equal and do better for themselves. And I'm describing a lot of these women's and uh, minority movements very poorly, so I'm just going to stop there. And this story kind of reminds me of a story I recently read in uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey uh, where this cult was making all the men in Gotham City sick with the virus. And kind of the same thing here, except this time the men are disappearing so they're out of the way so the women could take charge. It's not, But it's not painting the women in any better light because they're basically being controlled in the aforementioned uh, Batgirl and the Birds of Prey story. Just, it was the virus that only attacked the men and the women had to do a lot of the heavy Lifting the story, obviously, the Birds of Prey and Batgirl are all women, you know, heavily featured Lois Lane and Wonder Woman as well. But while that while that comic book story was showed women in a very positive light, this episode does not. And it just kind of shows them as beings to be controlled by the head villainous woman, Medulla. So back at the Hall of Justice, Superman and the Wonder Twins are admiring a statue of Superman as the expositional phone call comes in. More on the statue of Superman later, as you heard in the synopsis. Now, here comes the expositional phone call reporting that all the men are disappearing due to the women with the glowing eyes. And, of course, the Super Friends are the only ones who can handle this. So, Super Friends are out and about looking for weird women. So, I guess the glowing eyes qualifies as weird. And Zan just turns into an igloo in the middle of the street. What good is that? And I find out what good that is momentarily later. I'm very quick to rag on Xan, not necessarily having to watch the entire sequence to see what I'm ragging on. Basically, what happens is, Zan turns into an igloo to kind of function as a garage because he can only change it to water-based objects. But the, but he, but he misses, and then the, Jaina, as a, some kind of large animal, kicks the igloo and it lands on top of the car, and it reflects the, the medulla rays so that they don't, the men in the car are not captured. But now the Navy officers are disappearing, and, Aquaman is having uh, the fish rock the boat, and I guess this is supposed to uh, also block Medulla's rays. And uh, as they're trying to uh, you know, save the day, and Medulla gives Wonder Woman a few fake helicopters to follow to throw her off the scent. Now, at this point, Superman makes a speech before the UN, telling the leaders of the world to surround themselves with heavy security so they don't get taken by the Medulla Ray. And that's really the first time you see this in this show. I loved it. Seeing Superman making big speeches from government bodies like the UN and basically taking charge of a situation as only he can. Then after that, there goes another possessed woman making her boss disappear and apparently Medulla can't make Xan disappear, at least not at first. So being threatened by the Super Friends, Medulla pulls a switch and causes a rock slide that Superman averts by doing some super bowling. Literally, Superman catches a rock and he kind of bowls it up the side of the mountain and it stops the rock slide from harassing the Super Friends too much. Gleek tries, but he just goes through the bowling motion. Again, anytime Gleek tries to help or do something useful, it just looks silly and stupid, and I wish he'd stop. Talking about a f- 51 year old uh, cartoon, though, I doubt my, what I want is going to factor in. So apparently, there is a shield that's keeping the Super Friends out of the mountain, and Gleek, you know, showing his uselessness in, in an attempt to be useful, tries to walk into the mountain, but he is stopped flat out by the field and is knocked backwards. And even Superman can't get through as he punches it and hits it, but the thing won't punch. So Jaina and Wonder Woman will follow the hench women, because well they're women and that will get them in uh into the cave. But apparently Medulla is one step ahead of Wonder Woman and Jaina, and she allows them into the mountain. So Jaina and Wonder Woman get disappeared just like the men do, and Medulla and her fucky headphones now possess Wonder Woman and Jaina. You know, again she used the ray emitting the like the uh, beam from her eyes. So now She's got Wonder Woman and a Wonder Twin under her sway. Not good, folks. Not good. Not a good showing for some of our superheroes. They do a little too much posturing, and this is the result. So, Medulla is going to send Wonder Woman and Jaina to dematerialize the rest of the Super Friends so that women can rule the world unopposed. So, Jaina makes Xan disappear, and that's no complaint there for me. I've been hoping Xan disappears for how many episodes now? Wonder Woman initially fails to make Batman and Robin vanish, but she catches up with them and sends them away anyway. And then now, they're after Aquaman, who is somewhere else. Apparently, Aquaman has found the stream and then gets himself caught. And right now, Superman's the only one free, and he says that may work to his advantage. And remember that Superman statue from the opening sequence of the episode? Well, let's get to that check-off Superman statue, as Superman uses the statue to throw off uh, Wonder Woman and Jaina, and as soon as a Superman mentioned that he had a plan to avoid capture. I had a feeling that statue was coming into play. He was going to find some way of substituting himself with it so that he doesn't get this. So Superman gets chase and Superman and Gleek tiptoe in. Superman reminds Gleek that they have to be silent. And it's weird seeing Superman try to be sneaky. His uh, blue suit and bright red boots and cape don't necessarily lend themselves to doing a lot of sneaking around. So Super Friends get digitized and while Batman recognizes Superman's statue, Medulla did not. Medulla thinks she's one, but Superman is still out there, and he uh, makes himself right at home in the abandoned lair as uh, the women go out to conquer the world, leaving Superman alone in headquarters. Literally, empty the building. So he needs to find a way to get the super friends back. And apparently Superman doesn't know how to operate the computer, and with the help of the Pentagon, he brings the rest of the super friends back. So Batman and Robin uh, reflect the rays from Jane and Wonder Woman, and that seems to restore them. They use... uh, Bat mirrors that are tucked under the cape to reflect the rays back to Wonder Woman and Jaina. So what we learn from this sequence is that reflecting the rays back at the women will knock them out of uh, the spell that they're under. And the first mother gets herself her toy car for her son. And the super friends use more reflective tactics to free more of Medulla's uh, army of women. So Wonder Woman turns the device against Medulla and she is caught. And Wonder Woman restores all the people and Superman hopes she realizes what she did wrong. And what she did wrong with trying to save the people I making half the uh, population really disappear. I wonder exactly what she would have done with the rest of the men after she uh, was done conquering the world. One gender cannot, rep- cannot populate a species on its own. Just saying. Yeah. And we're going to move on now to The Collective. Superman and Wonder Woman must stop the Domehead family from stealing the world's landmarks by taking photos to make them disappear. One of my favorite names that we're going to see in the show so far. Domehead. I just love that name. So he's got a device that looks like a camera somewhat, and he's going to collect all of the Earth's monuments for safekeeping. And it's only the beginning, my children. Soon I'll transfer all the world's greatest
0: monuments, treasures, and even people into pictures. Oh, then what, Father? I'll store them in my underground steel vault for eternal safekeeping. Then years from now, we can activate the device's reversing process. And bring the objects back to normal. Mankind will honor the dome heads for preserving their greatest possessions.
1: And in a few years, I guess, when humanity learns how to take care of its crap, he'll bring them back. Nice guy. Apparently this is a way for his family to earn some much-needed prestige. So, we're going to count down. We're going to check off our landmarks here. There goes the Eiffel Tower. Then the Roman Colosseum. Big Ben in London. Statue of Liberty in New York and then the dome of the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. Not the entire Capitol Building, mind you. Just the domed portion. You now, I understand that that's probably new, but I'm not sure that's the view the developers had in mind. And now the Super Friends are getting calls f- a call from Clark Kent. No, not really, but if you look at this man in the blue suit on the screen, he looks like a middle-aged Clark Kent with his black hair and glasses, as well as his red and blue tie. This just could be an aged-up, silver Age model of Clark Kent. Sure, If you saw that image, you would agree with me. So he reports what we just saw, and apparently the Justice League computer knows who is behind the thefts. Superman just punches in a bunch of information, and Arthur Domehead comes out. You know, it's a shortcut for uh, an eight-minute episode. So, they're off to Mount Rushmore next, and that's when they hear Superman and Wonder Woman, and they go and hide. Superman easily finds uh, the secret passageway and finds the pictures. And mind you, they're not actually at... Mount Rushmore yeah, they were just going saying they were going to Mount Rushmore. Right now all of this action is taking place at the home of the Domehead of the Domehead family. So Superman easily finds a secret passageway and finds pictures of the various landmarks. And suddenly they have suspects. And as they're confronting the Domeheads, Superman is stolen by the camera. Basically, Superman lands in front of the Domeheads on and with one snapshot, Superman is sucked into a sheet of paper and Dr. Professor Domehead, or Dr. Domehead, or whatever the hell name Domehead he is, he was quite pleased with himself. And to be honest, being stolen by that camera so quickly is not a very good look for Superman. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman is still stuck at uh, Domehead's house. She's locked in the vault, but she finds her way out after she uses her lasso to crack the safe. She gets out, and it's fortunate that the Domeheads made a list of all the places that they're going to hit. So this old man and his two nerdy children are really giving Superman and Wonder Woman far more trouble than they should be. And the weird shot seeing Su- a rescued Superman, who Wonder Woman seems to get a hold of the camera and reverses it, making Superman appear up on top of a mast or something. Then Wonder Woman falls, and it's which the weird seeing Superman have to catch Wonder Woman in his arms, as if she couldn't save herself. So here's the lesson: don't go around stealing their world monuments.
0: That's the last of them, Superman. All of the world's monuments are back in place. I only hope the Domeheads realize that no one has the right to rob the world of its beautiful landmarks, no matter how noble the reasons. It's too bad the Domeheads didn't get into show business. They'd have had a great vanishing act.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It will not get you the prestige you're looking for. It will most likely get you sent to jail. So, let's move on to the Wonder Twins morality play, Handicap. Two teenagers are on their way to a fishing trip, have an accident, and the one with the disabled leg calls for the twins' help. After they rescue the boys, the boys learn that no one ever knows what they can do until they try. Which is a very valuable lesson for anybody. If you don't think you can do something, you know, try. Because you never know. I mean, half of what you want to do out there is all about confidence. If you don't have the confidence to think you can do something, you're probably not going to be able to do it. But if you can approach any kind of difficult task with confidence, you have a more of a chance of succeeding in anything you're trying to do. So This episode starts off, we've got two kids in a car, one is disabled with some kind of leg issue, although the show doesn't really say what it is, and the other does not. As they drive, they hit a boulder, and the car goes over a cliff, off a cliff, and Scott, who was the one complaining about his injured leg, has to secure some help. I believe the originally uninjured driver was Ron. So he gets up and walks away, so I was kind of wondering what his injury was. It seemed as though he had crutches at the beginning of the episode, or was even in a wheelchair, I don't remember. Now, Scott has very little confidence, although he does a nice pole bolt over a crack or a fissure. Now, Scott finds a phone, and does and does no one call the police? Or do they just divert all their calls to the Wonder Twins? They say, they say nope, teenagers in trouble, we're not dealing with this, put it on the Wonder Twins. So the twins uh, unpin Ron from under the van, and Scott is praised as a hero for getting the help that was needed. And Scott has newfound confidence, and both are going out for sports teams next year. In the beginning of the episode, Scott was refusing to join Ron at football tryouts or soccer tryouts. Whatever sport they're going to go for has not been uh, clarified. But Scott wasn't going to do it until this little adventure here with Ron and the Wonder Twin gave him confidence. I'm not necessarily sure why this gives uh, Scott confidence, because that confidence is going to be very fleeting. So, like I mentioned, Scott learned that you you don't know what you can do until you try, and that's a good lesson to learn. And you know what? Watching this episode seemed to make me realize that we didn't see the twins transform in the main story. Anyway, moving on to Alaska Peril. After a group of environmental scientists meet an abominable snowman in an unexplored part of Alaska, Batman, Robin, and Apache Chief go there to rescue two young assistants from, from the monster and the frozen waters of a nearby sea. Alaska, The Frozen Frontier. These are the voyages of these two red bands. Oh, sorry. Wrong franchise. Must be getting later, later than I thought. Anyway, these, uh, these folks, these scientists, or whatever they are, they uh, run into an abominable snowman because that's what you run into in the frozen wasteland of Alaska. But why this is a job for Batman and Robin and Apache Chief, I don't know. But apparently he knows the area, which is baffling to me because I thought the, the Apache Native Americans were from the Southwest. You know, Arizona and New Mexico and that area. Or maybe he remembers crossing the land bridge from Russia into what's at least now called North America. So either way, Batman, Robin, and Apache Chief go to Alaska and run into a monster, and he manages to crash the Batcopter. However, the helicopter manages to crash onto the emergency bat cushion because you don't want to leave your house without your emergency bat cushion. They catch up with the snow creature who's still carrying the van, and apparently the Apache Chief wrestles the creature, causing some waves that making the water turbulent. And the short ends with the Apache Chief told everyone that the snow creature was merely protecting its environment. And then we get a health segment telling us that drinking and driving is bad. So that's kind of the end of that. Next time, I'm going to cover the main Super Friends episodes, Exploration Earth, and The Lion Men. And whatever episodes beyond that that feature Superman. So, if you want to send us a feedback, feedback is always welcome. Manascreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. And the show is also on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called. But please, don't hesitate to leave me a review over there. It'll help other people find the show. So, till next time, folks, have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo, and all the opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyrighted to their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com and shop there. If you do, the two true freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out two true freaks at the same time emails to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast